This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 179. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I'm your host, Riley Bowman. And today with me on the show is Jacob Paulson. Hi, Riley. How you doing? Mighty fine, thanks. Awesome, awesome. Today is our usual news episode of the Concealed Carry Podcast, uh, featuring at the beginning of the week, each uh, each week, <laughs> we've got these news stories that we'd like to cover today. Uh, tons of tons of stories today, actually, so we're going to try to move along pretty quickly. And uh, some of these, that I think you're going to really find interesting, some legal action that's taking place in California over their assault weapon ban. Uh, we see things moving forward now in Congress on both pro-gun and I would say appears to be pro-gun bills, but might not necessarily be. <laughs> uh, and uh, also some ju- great justified stories. Uh, a couple of these I'm really looking forward to getting to. Plus a personal, like this is a, I got this firsthand you know, source story uh, about uh, a man whose life was saved by a tourniquet. I think you're going to really enjoy. I'll give you some of the details on that here in a little bit as well. So, but first, uh, today's episode, uh, I'm, I'm, we're keeping it fairly brief on the, the sponsor messages and uh, we're skipping the training tip for today as well, just due to time and everything that we have to cover. But we would appreciate you supporting our sponsors, Guardian Nation, Brave Response, particularly the Brave Response holster and Brave Response appendix holster. And also Pig Lube would be another one you might check out. Guardian Nation, Pig Lube, Brave Response. Anybody else you want to throw out there, Jacob? You know, we, there's a lot of amazing companies in this industry. You know, this Christmas when you're shopping for gun stuff, you know, shop local or support small businesses. Um, you know, we, we include ourselves in that list of small businesses. And, you know, you can always go to concealedcarry.com forward slash shop and see what we have out there. And I think you'll find we're very competitively priced and we, we're grateful if you give us a shot. Totally. Awesome. All right. So real quick before we get to our first news story, <clears throat> I did want to share with the listeners a letter that we received that I, I'm just astounded, Jacob. Like this has made my first response to him was uh, this didn't this not only made my day, but it made like my life. <laughs> uh, okay, so we got a, an email from a listener. His name is David from the Midwest. He calls himself, uh, and he says, "Riley, you converted a gun grabber." Uh, we'll give you some props too, Jacob. By the way, uh, <laughs> oh sure, I'll take it. Uh, I, I saw that that headline and you know the title of that email, and I was like, "What? Oh, I, I've got to read this." And it's 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 way good. So let me just share this letter with you. I started listening to the podcast a little over a year ago. At the time, I was on the fence about guns, but your podcast really helped me turn the corner. A number of years ago, I actually would have considered myself fairly anti-gun anti-concealed carry, anti-handgun, and limiting any long guns that were not specifically designed for hunting. I appreciate him sharing that detail because that that really does give us a a pretty good picture of of what he used to be like in terms of his thoughts and feelings about the Second Amendment, which is right in line with a lot of the anti-gun crowd that would, you know, outlaw semi-automatic rifles, handguns, all that stuff, which is pretty extreme. Uh, he goes on, I, I felt comfortable with these beliefs the less I knew. 
However, curiosity killed the gun grabber. (laughs) That's a great line. I began to give it serious thought. Why would someone decide to carry a gun? What effect do gun laws really have? This search for wisdom led me to ideas such as English common law and the right to self-preservation, the very roots of the Second Amendment and what they mean to human dignity. I found that I really did not align with the victim culture that we see in states uh, such as California, Illinois, and Massachusetts. I might also add to that, this is Riley speaking, uh, Europe (laughs) and a lot of the world is in that same boat. Uh, I also saw the folly of gun laws as they have little to little to no effect on criminals, i.e. the Paris terrorist attacks, November of 2015. As I began to talk with others about guns, I began to realize a lot of people have guns and carry them. I have been within proximity of guns all my whole life, but failed to recognize it. Everything that I had assumed was wrong. In October of 2016, I began to listen to your podcast. I really appreciate your strong regard for safety and training and providing knowledge on gun-related issues. This content helped me turn the corner from gun grabber to gun owner. The very next month, I purchased my first firearm, a Glock 19. Over the last year, I have obtained my concealed carry permit, taken two concealed carry gun classes, joined a local gun club, joined the NRA, contacted my congressman on two-way issues, regularly practice with live fire and dry fire every week. I carry my gun. I am currently shopping for additional training in the new year. If you are ever traveling through the great state of Indiana, hit me up and we can have a root beer. Sincerely, sincerely, David from the Midwest. Well, boom. Thanks, David from the Midwest. (laughs) Thank you for sharing your story. Uh, You know, I don't know that you were ever a gun grabber, um, it's hard cause we apply labels and you know, we all do this cause we're human and we'd love to compartmentalize. But you know, what's clear is that you probably would at very least have favored some smart gun legislation or common sense gun law or, you know, some of those terms we might've, we might use. And, and to today it sounds like you've turned the corners. You said you're no longer on the fence and glad to have you in the tribe and, and glad that you and your loved ones are better protected against the threats that surround us than, than you were before. So I read this and I just thought, Jacob, my life's mission is accomplished, bro. Like, don't tell your wife that. Mic drop. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, there's no need to continue this podcast because if I could have influenced one person to be like David, then man, mission accomplished. All right, I guess we need more emails of why we should keep this podcast going. No, I'm just joking. We're, the podcast is not going away, but uh, Riley is, is feeling fulfilled for now. It's it's awesome. It pumps me up. Uh, no, now the mission is find another David. Uh, find mm-hmm. you know hundreds or thousands of more Davids. Uh, you know, hopefully we can educate and train and prepare, and then also help people to see the light. Uh, I really think of it in that way that. Uh, the the propaganda you hear from the other side, uh, you know, pro gun control, you know, grab those guns, uh, is not necessarily the truth, uh, and their intentions are not always the most. Uh, I don't know. Do, do I say pure int- intentions? I think. I mean, it, they may think they're pure, or maybe to some people they are pure because they're, you know, they're drinking the Kool Aid. But uh, you got to look at the facts, and David looked at the facts and found. Um, you know, that gun control is not the answer. We, we applaud you, David, for taking into your, uh, your own life, uh, your own personal responsibility for 
learning and training and preparing yourself and for defending yourself if need be. I hope, ne- hope, I hope that never happens. But I'm sure as you are well aware, each week we share stories where law-abiding citizens do just that. And so we applaud you. So let's get to our first story now. And the first story from our own concealedcarry.com uh, webpage here, we got a story written by our our writer, Craig, and the, and the headline is National Concealed Carry Reciprocity Bill Finally Heading to Congress for a Vote. And so last week we heard and learned that the, uh, and, and, and to be honest with you, it kind of caught me off guard, Jacob. I was not seeing this happen and happen so fast. It, it was r- literally fast tracked through the committee, through the, the uh, Judiciary Committee in the House. And so where one day there was no talk, no active talk about reciprocity being passed necessarily, uh, the next day, bam, it was like through the committee. Normally these things might take days or weeks, and it was within hours it was pushed through. So that's really exciting to see. I mean, we've talked about the, I think, maybe my hesitations or reservations or concerns about this national reciprocity concept, because I see it from two two ways uh jacob i i see i think the correct way to do this would be to have nationwide constitutional carry because to me that's what the second amendment means right but i do think that's a long shot to getting that accomplished or getting a bill like that through and so the alternative is to have some sort of uh you know pass a national reciprocity bill like this which right now it's looking like if, if, if I understood it correctly, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, if you have a permit from any state, then you can then also carry concealed in any other state, right? And That's I correct. think, did I get it right that you can carry any gun? Any, any gun with any magazine with any ammo. Right. Now, one, the, the, addition, the restriction, I guess, would be that, yes, you can carry concealed in any state with any state permit, but the state will still be able to make laws and rules about where you can and cannot carry and and so forth, which uh, it would not surprise me to see states like Massachusetts or New York or California even pass laws that say, you know, that basically try to restrict you so much as to where you can carry uh, that they would try to to make it difficult for you to to, um, be able to take advantage of this national reciprocity. Um, You know, I also wonder if you're going to see some states try to fight back against this in the in the court, um, you know, claiming you know, a violation of states' rights and that we're you know the government's you know, forcing this down their states' throats and forcing them to accept other state permits. I, I don't see that necessarily being a winning argument, but I I, I wonder if that will be um, at least argued, at least brought to the courts. And the reason I don't see it necessarily winning is because we've already seen that with other legislation and this is one that's based in the constitution. So uh, with the court, the way it is a Supreme court I'm referring to, I I think it's, it's probably going to be okay, but this does open up, I think an opportunity though, for the federal government to interfere, I guess, in an area of our lives that it hasn't up until this time, generally, as far as referring to the, the act of carrying concealed, what are your thoughts? Um, I appreciate some of the minor details of the legislation. You know, when we talk about reciprocity, some of the major concerns I had were would be that we set up some gun owners for certain failure 
if everyone's out there operating under the assumption that now they can carry their legal you know gun anywhere they want all the time. And I was concerned about issues with, you know, states basically creating restrictions that were so serious that essentially reciprocity was still a thing. We still had a patchwork because even though New Jersey may be forced to honor my permit, they may not allow me to have hollow points or they may not allow me to have mags that are bigger than seven rounds, or they may not allow me to carry it, you know, on public streets or something, you know, I mean, so all these little things and, and there are some nice little details in here that go a long way. Uh, I appreciate that any permit from any state means you can carry in any state. So if I live in New York city or New Jersey and I can't get a permit, they, you know what, <laughs> they, they just lost a lot of, a lot of power because now I just go get a permit from Utah or Virginia, Florida, Arizona or something. And poof, now I can carry in New York and everywhere else too. So that's, that's a nice touch. What it'll do is it'll force states to reconsider their policy in issuing permits and what they're requiring people to do to get those permits because it's going to it's going to create a situation in which the state's going to say, well, these people are going to get permits regardless. The question is, are they going to get it from us? Are we going to collect that tax revenue or are they going to get it elsewhere? Because if they get it elsewhere, we have no control over what they're being ta- told, how, what they're being taught, how they're being taught that, and we're not getting any of the money from the permit application fee. So I think states like, you know, you'll see states like California, New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, you know, Maryland, these kinds of guys that will change their policy and make getting a permit much easier so that they can control the inevitable. So that's a nice touch. I also really appreciate that you could carry any gun with any mag with any ammo. Now, this would allow that, you know, it it doesn't matter if New Jersey says you can't have hollow points. This federal law says that I can bring my hollow points into your state because I can carry any gun with any mag with any with any ammo. It doesn't matter if you have mag capacity limitations. I can ignore them for the sake of reciprocity because I got my permit where I got it. My gun's legal where I'm coming from. And so I'm fine here. So it, it would it would undermine a lot of those kinds of things. Now, for those same reasons, I think it's it has a very uphill battle. I think you'll have uh, more pushback than you otherwise would because of those minor details. Now, what it would not do, and and uh, this is kind of my warning to listeners, is it does not remove the, the power of the state to legislate other things related to concealed carry. It does not remove the power from the state to decide where you can take the gun, for example. So a state could still say, well, in our state, you can't have it in any establishment that serves alcohol, or in our state, you can't have it within a school zone. In our state, I mean, you could have states that straight up say, well, you can't have it then on public streets. Uh, in public roads. <laughs> right. I mean, you could see states enacting legislation yeah. to essentially put them back into into powerful positions. Because if today New York City basically says you can't have a, a concealed gun at all, and now the, the federal legislation is forcing them to allow me to have my concealed gun in New York City, well, then New York City can just say, well, fine. We, we What we can say is even if you have a permit to carry a concealed weapon, you can't have it on, in the following places, and they can list anything they want there. So that that's an interesting thought. They also could pass legislation relative to how it's carried. They could, for example, pass a law that says, well, you can't have a round in the chamber uh, or something like that. So those are things the state would still remain in power and uh, control of, and we would see states pass a lot more legislation along those lines that would recreate a patchwork of of, of forms or of a sort, even though it may not be the, the patchwork of reciprocity that we're used to, kind of the red-green uh, map. It would be more of a, well, here you, you can't do this or you can't go there. And in this state, you can't go here and you can't go there and you can't do this. So so those are all things that I would just like warn listeners about uh, that I think are really important. Now, I think the question you were actually asking me, Riley, is what do I think about the whole state versus federal uh, you know, law thing? And, and you know, does this stand to, to have a challenge in the courts? Of course, it's going to have a challenge in the courts. 
I think that's inevitable. Um, but I think it's a, it's a dangerous thing for them to challenge because if you if you challenge this and say, hey, this, you know, we don't think this should be the law of the land. And the, if you can get the Supreme Court to, to read that, then what you're really asking the Supreme Court to do is to decide whether or not the right to carry a concealed gun in public is a constitutional right or not. Because if it is, then the reciprocity bill not only is legal, but it's unnecessary. And so it, it could have an adverse effect on the gun control agenda uh, to, to force this issue, frankly, or, or not. Um, do you know, th- th- that's where I'm at. But I, I think that inevitably, yeah, there'll be some challenges. There'll be some creativity here. And we already see a little bit of creativity here uh, relative to the Fix Nicks bill that's, uh, that potentially is going to be combined. Yeah, and it, we'll touch on that in just a moment here. Um, but to respond to some of what you, you mentioned that, uh, yeah, there's definitely some challenges here. And, and uh, I, there is definitely a risk as far as taking something like this to the courts now, historically, the Supreme Court has been mum on uh, you know taking up cases that deal with a constitutional right or not to carry to carry a weapon in public on your person. Uh, so that would be interesting to see if it ever got to that point and see if they would if they would take that up and if they did, what the result of that would be. Now, uh, one other thing I could see being a uh, potential issue, I mean, is talking about specific places that you might be restricted. There's many states that have laws dealing with carrying of a, of a firearm inside a vehicle. Uh, now, some of those states, it becomes irrelevant if you have a permit. Uh, so some states, so let me give an example. Uh, if you are traveling to Nevada and you don't have a concealed carry permit that would allow you to carry in that state concealed, uh, then you 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 cannot have that gun on you unless it's carried openly and very obviously openly, um, and that's something that's kind of interesting to, to mention. And that's totally different than the way it is here in Colorado, where it says you don't even have to have a permit to carry concealed in a vehicle. Uh, so you have constitutional carry in effect inside a vehicle in Colorado, but that is it's it's totally opposite. It's flipped. You know, when you go to states like Nevada and I could see states, you know, well, we're not comfortable with the idea of people traveling into or through our states carrying concealed. Uh, so, you know, guess what? You can't carry concealed in your vehicle. It's, it's a officer safety issue sort of thing or, you know, stuff like that. So it would be interesting to see how this would all pan out. Uh, and, and it would, uh, I definitely agree that it, I think, would put pressure on some states to revamp or revisit how they handle permitting. Uh, I think it would make sense for a lot of states, like take a state like California or even a state like Massachusetts, where it is most definitely not a shall issue state, as it's really a may issue state. And even then, it's a really dang near impossible to issue state. Um, it would be in their best interest, I would think, if they want to have a little more control to to make the process easier and to put into effect their own training requirements to get a Massachusetts permit that, you know, the idea being that you make it a little bit easier, you know, where it's convenient for someone to train at home, you know, train in their home state, uh, that's going to be more convenient. And so you give the requirements that here's what you got to do in our state and, uh, you know, it might not be ideal for some people in some states, but at least it probably opens that door where states at least are incentivized in some way to make things a little bit easier or a little bit more specific as to how people 
can get permits in their own states. Although that all becomes null and void, of course, most likely for a lot of people when they realize, oh, there's states like you know, Virginia where I can get a, uh, a non-resident permit, perhaps, uh, if that would still be in effect. You know, if, if Virginia would continue to do that after this went into effect, that would be interesting. But, uh, uh, you know, people realize that they go, hmm, I can take an online class and, uh, and send my paperwork in and get a non-resident Virginia permit and I'm good. So anyway. Oh, one other thought too. This, uh, I think, along those same lines, um, it, it would it would just really revolutionize. I think our industry once again. It's gone kind of gone through some revolu- uh, revolutions, at, if you will, as far as how concealed carry has developed and changed over time. And you know, there was a time where we saw a real big rush nationwide for permits, and you ha- you saw a big push, like with Utah instructors getting certified and teaching Utah classes all over. I think that would you know, it'd be like a, a, a second renaissance of, you know, concealed carry in a way. And that'd be really interesting to see how that would also play out too. So let's, let's talk about this house resolution 4477, which is a second bill, uh, proposed bill that was also pushed through that same judiciary committee along with the reciprocity bill, uh, very quickly. And this is the one that's known as fix NICS and, or NICS, which is the national, uh, 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 it's the National Crime Database, the National, I used to know what the instant acronym stood for. Check System, National that, Instant Crime, I don't know, right. something like that. Anyway, so this one's interesting. National and, and Instant it, Criminal Background Check System. There you go. This one's interesting because it, on the face of it, it appears as though it is a, um, I, I would say to most people and most gun owners, a, a pro-gun bill, meaning... By that, I mean, I know there's those out there that would say, just get rid of NICs and get rid of background checks and all that entirely. And I, I understand that. Uh, but I don't think that's happening, right? So the, the thought process is, let's fix NICs. Let's try to uh, make it so that it actually works the way it was, it's intended to work. Meaning, NICs is not a perfect system. We've talked about this, Jacob. Yeah, far it, from it has failures all the time. And uh, one major failure, though, I mean, it, it, and this is across the board, one major failure is it's only as good as the information that's in that database. Meaning when you have agencies or jurisdictions that fail to report things, then what good does it do? And we saw that in the case of the Sutherland Springs, Texas shooter, where the Air Force failed to report certain things that likely would have disqualified that man from being able to purchase firearms under, you know, once he went through a NICS system background check. So on the face of it, that's all fine and and, and dandy, right? I, I mean, I know, like I said, there's some of you out there that are going to be like, oh, that's stupid. You know, I, I don't even want that. I get that. That's okay. I get that. But I don't think NICS or a background check system is going away. So this bill intends to try to fix the, the NICS system. The problem with it is that it, it, it really goes, I think, way too far with how they would like to fix this system. And by the way, I believe this bill is sponsored by, um, oh shoot, the name, names are escaping me, but this is sponsored by a couple of Democrats. There's a couple of Republicans that are signed on to it as well. Uh, and generally, those some of those individuals involved are anti-gun type, you know, legislators. So I I wonder what the true motivation here is. And my concern is, is that this gets passed and then we start maybe restricting gun purchases towards people like uh, that have PTSD or ADHD, and they're not necessarily um, mentally unfit. 
Okay. Many people deal with PTSD and cope with it just fine. Uh, you know, there's some that do need help. That is without a doubt. Uh, we know that. And I'd love to see more people with PTSD and other issues get help, uh, the help that they need. But many have it and many have gotten help. And, and it's, there's very few of them that will actually, uh, that, that would be considered mentally unfit to be able to, to have or possess a, a firearm. But this might be taken so far as to restrict gun purchases from people that might suffer from PTSD, ADHD, even in Alzheimer's. And it, it seems to imply that you would be restricted from purchasing guns for offenses, for offenses as slight as unpaid traffic tickets. Now, I, I just spilled a lot of the, the, the details there, and I'm going to let you, I'm going to turn it over to you, Jacob. But before I do, and you kind of alluded to this, there's been talk about combining this bill with the National Reciprocity Bill. And that's concerning to me because on the surface, it would be sold as this, this is a pro-gun bill. We're going to get national reciprocity. We're going to fix the background check system. And hidden down in the fine print of this bill would be maybe a few little clauses and, and whatnot that I think could be interpreted as uh, as being unconstitutional and, and 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 infringing on people's rights, and, and particularly without due process. Yeah, Riley, do you happen, out of curiosity, to know what percentage of current denials in the background check system are false positives? Oh, I don't remember the exact number. I know you do because we've talked about that, and, and I know you have that number. But uh, false positives. Um, I know. Yeah, I, I'll just tell you. 90, 15%. 94.2%. Oh, 90. According to a study in 2009, 94.2% of denials, in other words, someone walks into a dealer, goes to buy a gun, they run a background check, and it comes back negative, sorry, you can't have the gun. In 94.2% of those instances, it's a false positive, which means that that person was able to buy guns after sorting out whatever weird thing triggered the denial in the system. Now, yeah. I, I misunderstood the question a little bit as far as what you were looking for by false positive. Yeah, yeah. So got it. Yeah, yeah so, that, and that's pretty astounding. Yeah, that's that's a, that's a high number. Now, that's a lot of pain, frankly. Like if you are one of those people who gets a denial and then you have to go through who knows what drama and pain in order to then pass a background check, uh, you know, in order to to get your your name cleared in the system. That sucks. That's a burden on the gun owner that prevents them from exercising their constitutional right. It's a burden on tax payers who who are pay, you know whose money is supporting the system that's trying to fix all this stuff. It's it's just not okay. Now remember last year, a big hoorah was when the Obama administration tried to take a bunch of this. Basically, everyone who had, was getting social security disability money and put them into the NICS system. The, the, the yeah. inference was, oh, if you're receiving social security disability, then you, 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 you're definitely not qualified to have a gun. It was unbelievable. And, and luckily, some legislation was passed to prevent that, to stop it from, from taking place. But this, is, this feels similar to me. It's like, hey, let's, let's, let's reach deeper into systems that we already have in place to dr- drag up more names and throw them into the system so they can't buy guns. That's not okay. We already have very clear defined lines of what means you can't buy a gun, uh, a felony conviction. Uh, you know, I mean like we have, we have some very clear lines and, and this is trying to say, let's change the line. Let's move the line to, to reinterpret what should disqualify a person from buying a gun. I don't see that as fixing Nick's. I see that as, 
exercising more gun control over American citizens. I see it as restricting people from being able to exercise their rights. I don't see it as fixing the system. To me, if you want to fix the system, if you if you if you believe the system is good, and you want to fix it, you know that we have a problem. The problem is that all the people who already don't meet the qualifications aren't in the system. And so when I hear the words fix Nick's, hey, we got to get all these people into the system, like this Air Force guy who shot up this church in Texas, I think, oh, okay, yeah, I, I kind of get it. But then I read this and I'm like, this actually isn't that at all. <laughs> this has nothing to do whatsoever with making sure the people who should be in the system are in the system. This is saying, let's redefine who should be in the system which is completely yep. different. That's unacceptable. That's not fixing the system. That's that's encroaching on the rights of more citizens. That's not the same thing. So if you want to fix the system, go to the, each of the 50 states and say, hey, if, if you don't meet these requirements and reporting these kind of offenders by within X number of days of convictions or something, then we're going to find the state or something. Like Find a way to force the, 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 the systems where the, this data exists to come into the NICS system. But redefining who shouldn't qualify to get a gun has nothing to do with this. It, it, to me, it's, it's a very sneaky veil. It's like, oh, Sutherland Springs, Texas, we, oh, this guy shouldn't have passed a background check, but he did, so we're going to fix it. No, you're not. You're not fixing squat. Are you trying to tell me something about this legislation will now make it guaranteed that the Air Force reports this crap to the system? No, this legislation has nothing whatsoever to do with that. This legislation purely redefines who should be in the database. That's all it does. Yep. Now, another thing that's in this bill is to uh, fund a study. They're they're basically, um, well, actually, I don't know if it's talking about funding it or if it's just requesting. See, they're asking for a Bureau of Justice Statistics uh, report on a study on use of bump stocks in crime. In other words, I think what they're going to try to look at is how often and when and how are bump stocks used in crimes, which I'm guessing that report's going to be fairly small as far as the number of times bump stocks have been documented as being used in crimes. Uh, So they might be a little bit disappointed what comes from that. There was talk at one time, though, that this bill... I think in its early, in its infancy was talking about uh, outlawing bump stocks, but that has now shifted to let's do a study, and they've commissioned the Bureau of Justice Statistics to do that, which in essence means they are funding the study. But anyway, so that'd be yeah, that's another aspect of it that I just want to make sure everyone's aware of, and I completely agree with you, Jacob. You know, it, it's like okay, the fix is not that complicated, um, so let's just fix what we know is actually broken. Uh, not necessarily add these other ambiguous requirements that might lead to infringements of Second Amendment rights. Uh, by the way, the <clears throat> we took the basis of this story uh, from uh, a statement from the Gun Owners of America organization. Uh, you can see the link there, uh, gunowners.org. You can find the link in the for that specific statement in our show notes of today's show. Next story, guns.com <clears throat> reports that surviving relatives of nine killed in Texas church shooting file a wrongful death claim against the United States Air Force. And I am not surprised by this at all. Uh, Talk about fixing a NICS system or fixing a system where crimes and uh, things like that need to be reported in order for that system to even be valid. Uh, We know that a failure in the Sutherland Springs, Texas situation was the failure of the United States Air Force to somebody somewhere in that organization 
Uh, and of course, we love our we love our U.S. Air Force, but somebody somewhere messed up. They dropped the ball and certain things that didn't make it into the system that should have. And so he was able to acquire guns. Now, I would actually argue, though, just real quick, a quick tangent, that even though he was able to acquire those guns uh, legally, he still may very well have acquired guns through other means to commit that heinous crime. But there's certainly, I I don't think, can be any harm uh, necessarily. If we're going to have a background check system, we might as well... Uh, make sure that it it functions <laughs> properly. So we already talked about that. Well, let's turn to the story though. We've got nine people or nine families or or whatever that are filing this wrongful death claim against the Air Force, saying because of your failure, uh, we, you know, our our family was impacted. Uh, we lost a loved one, or I was severely wounded, or something, and thus. We need to be compensated for that. And to my point, what I was just arguing about, Jacob, and I'll, I'll get your take on this. I, I don't, I mean, I, I'm not surprised by this. And they may very well be, be do something. Who knows? We'll let a court figure that out. But at the same time, even if the Air Force had done their job, then it may not have necessarily prevented this from happening. I, I agree. Um, I mean, this is one of those sad nature of the beast kind of things most of the time. And we, we, we saw lawsuits at the Aurora Theater. We saw lawsuits after Sandy Hook. We saw lawsuits after the Orlando nightclub. We saw lawsuits most recently from Vegas and now from Sutherland, Texas. Um, these things, like It's just a guarantee there's going to be a lawsuit. Someone who actually has money is probably going to get sued. And, you know, they, they no longer can sue gun companies. I mean, technically, they haven't been able to for over a decade. That precedent was made very clear. A federal legislation was passed that says you can't sue gun companies. But it seems that, like, we're actually starting to figure out you can't sue the gun companies. So now we're suing Mandalay Bay or we're suing the Air Force. And, I mean, the burden here is is on the uh, the people filing the suit to to show that had the Air Force done their job, if they had not been reckless or negligent, then this incident wouldn't have occurred. Pretty hard sell. Yeah. I mean, if I was if I was on that jury, I'd be like, uh, I don't, I don't see how that would have stopped squat. But um, yeah, we'll we'll see how it shakes out. Yeah, you know, my heart grieves for these people and these individuals, and uh, I, I know lives have been totally turned on end. You know, just totally flipped over and and made a mess of, uh, and that's that's not easy, and that's not something that's easy to come back from and recover from. And, and certainly medical bills uh, may exist for some of these people that they can't cover. or Maybe they didn't have insurance or they didn't have the right kind of insurance. And um, yeah, so my heart goes out to them and I hope that things are made right in some form or fashion. I mean, uh, we've got charities out there. We've got churches. We've got, you know, loving, caring, uh, generous people that I'm sure would also con- uh, contribute to uh, these individuals' cause. But uh, I, I do kind of think that it might be a little bit of a long shot on this, but we'll, we'll definitely follow it as it, as it uh, moves forward, uh, this lawsuit. Um, now turning to a link from Firearms Policy Foundation, firearmsfoundation.org. Uh, the story here is, it says, breaking new legal action challenging California's assault weapon regulations. 
So they are in the summary here is the lawsuit argues that the state's bullet button assault weapon regulations are largely unlawful, should have been subject to the Administrative Procedure Act process, that they waste taxpayer dollars and should not be allowed to stand. Uh, I read through the statement too, Jacob, and I, I didn't find a lot of like really specific, you know, meaty uh, statements as to like very specific parts or pieces of legislation that they they feel are. Um, uh, you know, unconstitutional or whatever. It, it seemed to be more of a broad attack. Um, but one thing I do know, I, th- I, I one thing that, that was a little bit more specific was this whole discussion on, you know, that there were some laws and rules and regulations that were changed in the state of California and that the Department of Justice of the state of California uh, initially wasn't taking any comment or uh, any sort of uh, uh, input, you know, this uh, administrative procedure uh, that that they just said, nope, no comment on this. This is what the rules are going to be. Uh, apparently that was dropped and they've extended the time frame for when they are reviewing these rules and regulations. But uh, here comes this lawsuit uh, saying, look, this is, you know, it's all wrong to begin with. So mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, what, what's your take on this? Uh, yeah, this, uh, to be honest, I read this once and I feel like I got to read it two more times to actually understand it. Uh, what, what's clear is basically the department of justice, California department of justice being called out for treating citizens uh, illegally. It's like, Hey, you, you say that you want to you know be law abiding, but you're not following the law. You're not following the legal process necessary in order to make these items illegal. You've essentially you know, gone, gone around. You've done, you've, you've done it in a tricky way. And that ain't cool. Like you guys are hypocrites. Like we're we're essentially going to force you to undo this, and then if you if you want to make these things illegal, we're going to force you to go about it the correct way. Yeah, that's actually really uh, perfect. That's a perfect way that you just described that oh, as to what's good. going on here. Now, involved in the lawsuit is the Firearms Policy Coalition, the Cal Guns Foundation, Second Amendment Foundation, and Firearms Policy Foundation. So certainly, if uh, if this intrigues your, you know, it piques your interest at all. If uh, you'd like to get involved, there's ways that you could donate to these organizations that are backing this lawsuit. Um, they certainly need need help and need resources to carry on things like this. So, and anyway, I would definitely encourage you to look into those organizations and find out any way that you can support as well. On to a story out of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. Uh, this one is. I, I don't know if I can understand the whole purpose of this, Jacob. Uh, It just doesn't really make sense to me. But here's the title. Controversial bill would force business owners to take down bulletproof glass. (laughs) (laughs) And it says here, a controversial bill is currently working its way through City Hall designed to regulate stop-and-go liquor stores one part of the bill would force business owners to take down bulletproof glass inside their stores, but at what cost to their safety? Broad Deli, it says, a store, it sits on the corner of a street there. Inside a wall of bulletproof glass separates customers from workers. The most important thing is safety and the public safety owner, Rich Kim, said. Uh, they've run this deli for over 20 years. Uh, he says the glass went up, so they put up this bulletproof glass after a shooting and claims it saved his mother-in-law from a knife attack. Now he may be forced to take some of the barrier down. If the glass comes down, the crime rate will, will rise and there will be lots of dead bodies. He said, 
Uh, a bill moving through city council reads this, quote, no establishment shall erect or maintain a physical barrier, end quote. I, <laughs> I, I, I don't understand. I, I, yeah, I've read this whole thing. And, and whoever wrote this, I mean, good old Fox 29 here, uh, failed to get a quote from anyone that explains why. Like right. there's not a single thing in this entire news story that explains why anyone thinks the bulletproof glass should come down. No, yeah. Nothing. So, so, and I'm also at a loss. Like, uh, are, are we trying to create more face-to-face interaction? Like, do we want people to be able to shake hands? Like, I, I completely have no idea what the intent of this is. Like, I, I don't, I don't understand why the government is going to decide that a private business can or can't have bulletproof glass between itself and its customers. That I, I don't get it. Completely at a loss. All right. So, um. I still, I'm not sure if I understand what the intent of that provision was, but I, I want to let you know that I just did a little search and this is, this is, this is breaking news. Basically, this is a very recent update. So just a few hours ago, it's being reported that that provision, this bulletproof glass provision has been amended and it's been removed from this bill from the so-called stop and go bill. So what we just talked about. I guess at this point doesn't matter other than it, it, it makes me wonder why would that have been in there to begin with? I know this is not really so much a gun related issue uh, as it is a safety related issue. I mean, we, we've talked about on the podcast before with businesses, you know, where there's businesses that don't allow you to per company policy, carry a gun for self-defense while, while you're in their business or while you're on time working for them. Um, you know, and it's like, okay, if, if your business is not going to allow that, then you should take steps to protect your employees. And I think it's within a business rights, a business, a business's right to have things like bulletproof glass. If they feel like that's the best course of action for them and their employees, uh, then there you go. So I, I guess this has been now amended and removed from this, this bill. Uh, but, uh, that's, that's, uh, it's just, blows and boggles the mind. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, I've, <laughs> I've nothing to say. But what the crap are you thinking? Yep. I'm dropping this story, this updated story, uh, into our show notes as well. Now, when we compiled our uh, list of stories for today's episode, it was actually finished yesterday, and uh, so it's been since then that this this was updated. So I'm glad I went and looked and saw that that had now been changed. Apparently, they had enough people say this is stupid. All right. And, and by the way, I think that's a, another point by itself. Uh, just how some, sometimes how powerful our voices can be that, yes, our government sometimes tries to do things without uh, our, uh, our input, you know, but sometimes and sometimes we feel actually a lot of times we feel like they're not listening to us, but sometimes it actually does work. Denver Post reports retired military commanders urge Congress to address gun violence crisis. And actually, this is a borrowed story. It's on the Denver Post, but it's actually a story that originated on the Washington Post. And the story goes that 16 of the nation's top retired military commanders are urging Congress to pass gun control legislation, arguing that there are many steps that can be taken to curb gun deaths that do not violate the Second Amendment. Now, among these leaders include retired Army Generals Wesley Clark and Michael Hayden, Navy Admiral Eric Olson, Air Force Lieutenant General 
Norman Sipe and Marine Brigadier General Stephen Cheney, or Cheney, they argue that Congress is no longer speaking or voting for the majority of Americans, including gun owners, when it comes to the issue of firearms. Uh, is there anything specific that they are wanting to to see passed? I, I, yes, I don't actually. Know that it really, I've, you have well, to read it quite a bit to get there. Yeah, I, I know that. But what I was going to say is that this is in conjunction with that their group is part of a ver- veterans coalition of a gun control group founded by U.S. Representative Gabrielle Giffords and her husband, Mark Kelly. And I know what that group wants, and it is not good for gun owners. Yeah, never. So this is interesting. You know, these are these are our guys, you know, and some of these ha- guys have have storied and admirable careers as far as what they've accomplished in their careers, leading our nation's soldiers, airmen, and Marines. Uh, you know, oh, did I, did I forget uh, sailors as well? Yeah, okay. So, uh, I I don't I don't even know how to respond to this. Like one on one hand, it's like I I I appreciate your service that you've given our country, everything that you've done, the wars that you have fought. At the same time, you're they 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 say that the, our legislators are not you know that Congress is not listening to the people and not representing us. But I'm not so convinced of that because this just feels like it goes against the Constitution, and it feels like. These are the guys that were fighting for that, and that's quite a dichotomy. Yeah, I mean, I, I I appreciate their service as well. I don't think that anything about their their service or background in any way qualifies them to have an opinion that's any more valuable than your mine or my child. Well, maybe not my child, but any other you know American adult on this Agreed. issue. And that that I think is really important. And I, I don't think that that you know. Any of these military commanders has any more valid of an opinion about these gun control issues than celebrities who also seem to think that they their opinions are more more valid or should be more heavily weighted. Um, I, I just I don't think that's relevant at all. Um, quote: They argue that closing background check loopholes barring extremely lethal guns and accessories and working toward preventing gun suicides can be addressed within quote, every reasonable interpretation and quote of the second amendment end quote. There's a quote within a quote. Yeah, that that was code right there mm. for banning AR 15. Yeah. I mean, and I love extremely lethal guns, you know, cause I mean, if you, if we really look at that, it's like, well, what do you guys mean by that? Cause they, they clearly don't mean in terms of caliber, like, are they suggesting we should get rid of my 30 6 hunting rifle? Because that's extremely more lethal than my AR-15 or any other gun I would use for self-defense. So they, they're clearly not referring to anything related to caliber. Or if, if they are, that's even more scary. But let's assume that they don't want to get rid of my hunting rifles. So, so then we have to assume that they must be talking about rate of fire. And if they're talking about rate of fire, then, then we have to assume they're talking about all semi-automatics. Or maybe they're talking about magazine capacity. So it's either rate of fire and/or mag capacity. Some you know, one one or both of those things is the only thing they they might be referring to. So essentially, they want universal background checks. They want mag capacity limitations and/or they want to get rid of all semi-automatic semi-automatic firearms. And you definitely can't get rid of all semi-automatic firearms within any reasonable interpretation of the Second Amendment. Uh, and I think that you have a hard time suggesting that magazine capacity limitations or universal the background checks uh, are within the, the Second Amendment as well, but that, that's a different conversation. But but I think it's just worth clarifying that a their background to me, like the way this is written, this whole, whole article is written, suggests that somehow they're more qualified to have an opinion 
like they're totally qualified to have an opinion on how we should fight back insurgents in Iraq. Like I would love to hear their thoughts on that, but I don't think that their opinion is any more valid than mine related to, you know, whether or not any of this legislation can stop gun violence. Now I do appreciate anyone who thinks that we should do something about gun violence. I don't think that anyone who thinks that these things would stop gun violence it has in any way become really familiar intimately with the issue. I mean, let me ask, if we had universal background checks, if we uh, limited magazine capacity and we got rid of bump stocks, would that have stopped the, the incidents that they're referring to, Las Vegas and Sutherland, Texas? Not no. even a cent, not even a little bit. It wouldn't have done squat diddly nada. Nothing that they're proposing would have stopped those incidents. Now, they also talk about preventing gun suicides, which I actually found extraordinarily interesting because a very high percentage of gun-related deaths, more than we would think anyway, of gun-related deaths in this country are suicide-related. And so that's a whole different conversation, which has nothing to do with background checks or rate of fire or magazine capacity, as far as I'm concerned, as a completely different question related to legislation. And they've made no specific you know, mention of anything that they think could be done to curb gun suicides. So that's a separate conversation, but I did find that interesting and noteworthy. Here's something else I find incredibly interesting, and that is this this letter, uh, which they have, these generals have you know come together and written, and and uh, uh, they are urging Congress with. They uh, this comes on the heels of this reciprocity bill, this nationwide reciprocity bill, getting through committee and being considered very soon here uh, on the House floor. What's interesting about that? I mean, it, so this is, in, I think very much targeted and in direct response to that. Uh, Giffords has responded to that bill and says that it weakens public safety by basically allowing more people in more places to carry concealed, right? And keep in mind, we're talking about law-abiding citizens, right? Now, retired Army General Stanley McChrystal said he agrees with that, with, with meaning with Giffords. And I'm really torn reading this because I have a, a great deal of respect for General McChrystal, who led a lot of the war and the fight in Afghanistan. Uh, and, you know, I, I think he's a stand-up guy because when he saw things that he didn't agree with, as far as, you know, he, he basically was forced to resign because of uh, some of the stuff he said about Joe Biden, Vice President Biden, you know, that he just called it as it was. He says this, and this this quote just whew, blows my mind. He says, in the aftermath of two of the country's worst mass shootings, it's an affront to our, our safety as a nation and the common sense of its citizens that Congress would actually consider weakening our gun laws. Untrained and potentially dangerous people have no business carrying guns in our communities, but the concealed carry bill in the House would allow exactly that. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, clueless. I, I, I legitimately just, I, 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 these these gentlemen have no credibility related to this conversation in my eyes. I, I yeah, yeah, I'm frustrated. I'm almost sick to my my stomach even. Uh, which, by the way, they say that as military leaders, they defended the Constitution and have considerable firearms training. So what? So thus, Jacob, they are experts. They're experts on shooting guns, you know, debatably, though I'd love to, to meet them on the range sometime. But that doesn't mean they are in any way experts on how to curb gun violence in America. I think that's ridiculous. I'll add to this also thought that, that you can go find anyone with any title to defend any position. I mean, we have so many <laughs> veterans in this country. Uh, you know, by no way could anyone look at this and say, 
oh, well, you know, this means that all military commanders must be pro-gun control. Like, you know, you can find anybody to support anything and that might put a spin on it. And that's what's really happened here is Gifford's group has said, well, if we can get some really credible military commanders to say that this stuff is a good idea, that, that could sway some public opinion. Yeah, but it's still, it's, it's discouraging because like they say themselves, they have defended the constitution, yet I see this very much in the, you know, in the face as an affront to the constitution. And that's, that's really discouraging to see it. This is by the way, not, it's also not surprising in a way because typically what we see with political positions and most definitely generals and admirals are playing the part of a politician of sorts. You know, they are answering to whoever's in charge, meaning in the white house. Uh, and, uh, they, they, they are playing a political game. And just like what we see with, you know, they're, they're appointed to their positions. They are, you know, as far as, uh, you know, leading, uh, major organizations within the military, leading the fight on a war, uh, the president, you know, joint chiefs of staff are going to appoint those, those guys to lead those battles. And that's, that's very much a political appointment. We see the same thing with police departments and their police chiefs, where you generally have a police department where the officers that are on the streets working overwhelmingly are pro second amendment, but their police chief is very anti-gun <laughs> and will say the most ridiculous stuff. And I've seen it. I've heard the so-called, you know, locker room talk where guys talk about their police chief in a very negative light because he doesn't know what the heck he's talking about. Why would he say such a stupid thing about gun control? So, it's uh, it's disappointing and, and discouraging to hear, but at the same time, it's not necessarily surprising, unfortunately. All righty. So now we get to a story. Um, it's really a, well, it is a story on fox2detroit.com. It's accompanied with a video. You, you just have to go watch the video, okay? The video is is one of those uh, doorbell, you know, video cameras, right, that are so becoming very popular now uh, so that if someone approaches the uh, door and or they ring the doorbell, this thing starts recording. And it's been fascinating to see what people have been capturing on their, their little, you know, doorbell video cameras, right? As we see packages that are taken, uh, break-ins occur, and this most recent thing that that we saw come out. This is a new story as of uh, December fourth, so just yesterday. Um, <clears throat> man with gun caught on camera ringing homeowner's doorbell, and I'll tell you, I mean, this one's kind of surprising. I mean, most of the time you see these where somebody approaches and they're scoping things out and they're just trying to take a package that's been left on the doorstep. This looks way more nefarious than, than a simple, you know, taking of a package. This guy walks up the step and he's holding in his hands what looks to me to be a Intratech Tech 9, which is, I think, one of the guns that was used in uh, Columbine. Okay, so this is a semi-automatic. It's a hand. It's technically a pistol, um, and you know it's a blowback action. Uh, there's probably ways you can modify this to be fully auto stuff like that, right? But it's a pistol with a large capacity magazine, something that many states would love to outlaw, uh, and some many do actually. California included, New York included, Massachusetts and others included in that. Anyway, so he comes up to the doorstep with his Tech Nine, rings the doorbell, stands by. And the thing that I thought was interesting, Jacob, is you could see in the background uh, a, a buddy, you know, a cohort of his 
waiting way off kind of in the dark to to the far you know sort of corner if you will as you're watching the video it's in the left and i I take a couple things away from this number one this is a great reason why we need to be prepared even within our homes at all times it's why i carry on my person all the time including in my home even those times when i want to just be comfortable and kick back i find a way to carry so that I'm not caught off guard by crap like this. Number two, you might respond. You might even try to respond to an individual like this on a doorstep. And you might not realize that he's armed like this guy is. He's he's clearly at points trying to conceal this in his arms. So it's not very apparent as to what he's got in his hands. But don't forget that he may not be alone. And that's why I bring up that second guy that's uh, hanging off in the back shadows that you might not see. And that's that's a great lesson right there to to be to understand that you need to be aware of the whole situation and not be caught off guard by somebody that blindsides you from the side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know a, uh, that I have a ton to add that would be of any value. I, I appreciate you know that your two thoughts that hey, we got to be prepared all the time. Watch out, uh, you know, a, another person might have just opened this door and been caught in the face with a gun. Uh, this guy wasn't alone; he was well armed, relatively prepared. Obviously, it does needs to be better at recognizing <laughs> which doorbells have have video cameras. And second, this is another shout out for awesome technology that makes us safer. I think this is a, a really good example. Yeah. And you know, but let's go old school on this and just say, you know, how often do you do you check the people? You know, how often do you walk to that door and before you open it, you take a quick look. I'll tell you an experience I had the other day. I, I we had a doorbell ring pretty late at night, and I went to answer it. This is you know, the last three or four days. And I went to answer and I looked through the people and it was covered up by a huge Christmas wreath that my wife uh, put on the front of our door. We, you know, she, she loves that wreath that we get out every year and it's blocking the people. And I was immediately like, crap, I can't, I can't see who's that. It turned out to be USPS, by the way, making an 8, 8 PM delivery. Bless those people's souls for, for working so hard this time of year. But anyway, you know, going old school on you, you know, do you have a people, do you check it? Do you make sure it's always uh, you know, on, open and not covered. Yeah. Yep. I was thinking that as well. I actually went to somebody's door the other day, uh, you know, stopping in for a visit and it was, you know, of course it gets dark so early now, especially here in, in the Denver area where it's dark at like four thirty. And, uh, I, I was having that very thought as I went up to their door and I rang the doorbell and I could tell someone came to the door and that they were standing behind it initially. And then keep in mind, this is a friend of mine, right? But, uh, th- they had a decoration covering the people as well. And um, I'm like, I know they can't see me. I know they totally can't tell who I am. And so when the door opened, if I was a bad guy, uh, there, there you go. I'm busting my way in. So that's, that's really good advice you gave, Jacob. Um, my wife has sometimes done the same thing. And I have always tried to work with her to understand, look, because I, I, I check every time I open the door. I look through the, through the peephole. And uh, yeah, if it's a suspicious character, I'm not opening that door. Anyway, pretty interesting video, a scary video. Go check it out for yourself. Like I said, uh, links in the show notes. That brings us to uh, the last story of, that we have before we get to our justified stories. And this, uh, this story is kind of unique. This actually started off as a Facebook post. And uh, this is from uh, North American Rescue. They posted a photo uh, and, and warning. It is graphic. Uh, those of you that don't care for the sight of blood, uh, which... 
blood does not bother me one bit. So I take, I took one look and even I though at first was like, Whoa, Hey, you know, it, it definitely catches your attention because it, it is bright red and there's a lot of it, uh, which tells you a couple of things. It's arterial blood. And the story goes, this guy shot himself accidentally in the inner thigh with a Taurus judge, uh, 410, uh, you know, uh, shot. It's that, that 410 shot shell, uh, revolver that Taurus makes, right? And this was with the uh, PDX defense load. Uh, it says he was non-responsive after four minutes. Officers showed up and applied a tourniquet, saving his life. Just showed me the importance of keeping one on my person at all times. And I'm not sure who they're quoting here. Because I'm going to tell you that uh, I've reached out to and, and found uh, one of the uh, EMTs. or He's actually with the fire department that was a first responder to this incident. And I've got the story firsthand from this guy. Uh, I was just quoting now from this post. But uh, take a look at the photo and see this is the reality of why we need to be prepared, not just in carrying a gun, but carrying other tools of the trade. And one of those tools, in my opinion, is a tourniquet that I carry on my person all the time now. For this reason right here, not because I believe I'm going to shoot myself, uh, certainly hope that doesn't happen. I intend to make it so it doesn't happen because that's what we have gun safety for. But, uh, there's a chance that, you know, when you are working around guns or if someone's trying to hurt you, you're going to need something like this. And this shows just how quickly, uh, you can lose a lot of blood. Now, according to the firsthand account, uh, from, uh, this firefighter that responded to the scene, uh, there's a lot of details, and I'm, I'm planning on doing an article about this. Uh, we'll, we'll, I'll give the, f- the full story of that article, but for today's purposes on the podcast, let me just share a couple of things. Uh, they showed up on the scene, uh, and initially they just heard that someone had been shot. Now, that's pretty typical of a lot of gunshot calls. Uh, you don't know who's been shot, why they've been shot, who shot them. Uh, you know, So they're going to show up to the scene being pretty careful, making sure that they have clearance from from the uh, responding LEOs, that the scene is secure. It's okay for EMTs now to, and EMS to come in. Uh, so he, they waited for that, which just took a few minutes. They got on scene. They were advised that uh, law enforcement was with the patient, uh, that they administered aid, that they had applied a tourniquet. And uh, the, what they saw, he, and this is according to the, to the uh, firefighter, he said, the amount of blood that was lost was impressive, to say the least. At first glance, I knew this was not a good sight since the blood was very bright, in, in, bright, very bright red, indicating he had hit an artery. The entrance was just above the left knee on the inside and exit wound was just above the left ankle on the outside. Due to the loss of blood in the patient's presentation, I did not believe the patient would have remained alive for the transport. To put it in perspective how much blood was actually lost, because the picture does not do it justice, since the patient was unresponsive, I had to step in the blood and get under his legs and waist to pick him up out of the car to put him on the stretcher. When I stepped in the blood, it came up to the top of the sole of my boot, so about a quarter inch. He said or he was in what's called hypovolemic shock, which, which is shock induced by the loss of blood. Um, if it was not for Douglasville Police Department, this was in Douglasville, Georgia, if it was not for them carrying tourniquets, there's no doubt in my mind this guy would have bled out right there. Tourniquets absolutely save lives. The patient did later start coming around with IV fluids and began speaking, but was very lethargic and confused. 
quite a story, isn't that, Jacob? Pretty extreme. Um, we've now had this come up several times. You know, we've talked about carrying a tourniquet and some other things with you. You talked about your ankle rig. Um, I see Rob Pincus uh, posted a picture in the comment uh, on this this post on Facebook with kind of I think it's a picture of his ankle. Um, uh, Ivac is that what we'd call that? And Ivac. Yeah, yeah, yeah Ivac. And and so. You know, if you've heard this several times and you're just like, that sounds like a lot of work. Uh, a couple a couple of thoughts would be, one, in this case, this guy could have just put a tourniquet in his car and he would have been good because this incident took place in his car. Now, you might not always be in your car when you need that tourniquet, but that certainly be a starting point is, is keeping a tourniquet in a car. Another thought here would be that tourniquets don't have to be as bulky as you think. Uh, we're, we're fans of the SWAT T, which is a relatively low profile tourniquet. There's other solutions out there that aren't, aren't that bulky as well. They don't have to be that expensive. And like a lot of things in life, it's not that expensive because you're probably only ever going to buy one. Uh, you know, unless, I mean, you might have one through the range bag, one here, one there. That's things like you and I would do. But but it, it's not an, a super expensive approach to, to, to have one. And I mean, I have a life hammer in my car. What are the odds that I'll ever go underwater and have to break out a gla- break out a window with it? Pretty low, but I bought one and I stuck it in the car and it's there. And so the, the tourniquet might be a similar kind of you know, thinking as far as something you purchase. And another thought I had here would be, a lot of this to me is about the mental preparation. This guy probably had never stopped to consider what will I do if I take a shot right here, whether it's self-inflicted or not, because he had the time to make a phone call, but he didn't rip off a belt or take his shirt off and use it to tie it really tightly. I mean, you can, you can, you know, if in, in lack of a, a made for the purpose tourniquet, you can improvise with, with a lot of things around you. And so having some mental rehearsal related to some of these you know, traumatic issues and, and medical related issues is just as important as the mental rehearsal related to being in the gunfight. And, and so, you know, I, I think there's a lot could have been done here. In this case, it's probably going to turn out all, all okay. And it sounds like this guy's going to make a recovery, but, you know, just stopping thinking, well, I could have ripped this, I could rip this belt off. I could apply that tourniquet. I could take my shirt off, tie it really tightly around. You know, I could, I could do a lot of things probably. Uh, the average human adult bleeds, bleeds out in two and a half to three minutes. That's the time it takes basically for your central nervous system to shut down and, and may not be able to come back on. In this case, we're talking about a lot of blood. So that time can be shortened. And, you know, have you thought through what it's going to take, uh, you know, what you're going to have to do to save your own life in these situations? Yeah. So speaking of tourniquets, uh, yeah, you mentioned the SWAT T ones, which are pretty compact, pretty easy to carry. They are a little bit heavy, but they're definitely easy to carry. You can throw one in a back pocket. I've done that. Really easy to do. Um, I've got the uh, TK4L tourniquet in the in my ankle rig because it works really well. It fits nicely in that rig, and those are great tourniquets as well. You got rats tourniquets. You've got soft T tourniquets. You've got cat tourniquets, which are very popular, and it's probably what was used in this case. Is that's what a lot of law enforcement officers are carrying on their duty belts these days. Uh, you know that they, they they all they all get the job done. Uh, some would argue some are better than others, but you know what. Uh, at the end of the day, have a tourniquet and have several. I think having one in the vehicle, having one on your person, having one in a bag that you carry with you regularly, uh, maybe even having, uh, there's been times I've carried two tourniquets on my person. Certainly can't hurt. Um, and and it, for me, that's going to be situationally dependent. You know, uh, if I'm just concerned about myself, I'm, I'm probably just carrying one. But if I'm in a public place, if I'm, uh, uh, maybe if I'm at the range, you know, in a class teaching students, I'm, I'm going to have a couple there. 
uh, just in case, you know. So be prepared. Tourniquets save lives. We've seen that already. And that's why I shared this story today to just to continue to drive that that point home. And I hope people will start to take it seriously. Our first justified story, St. Louis pizza delivery driver kills robber during shootout. This is on fox2now.com. St. Louis, Missouri and Emo's, I think it is, it's I-M-O, an Emo's pizza delivery driver shot and killed a man who tried to rob him in South St. Louis Thursday night. Uh, police were called to the scene, the report of a shooting uh, where the victim, a 41-year-old Caucasian man, so the pizza delivery driver, he told police that he was in the process of delivering food when two men attempted to rob him. One of the suspects struck the man in the head with a firearm. The same suspect started to fire shots at him when he ran back to his vehicle. The delivery driver returned fire with his own handgun and was not hit during the gunfight. The second robber left the scene on foot. This is interesting. The pizza delivery driver was able to return to work after the attempted robbery. That is where he called police. He is suffering from a cut to his head. Now, then later, the suspect's body was found uh, by police. The, the pizza delivery driver turned his gun over to police so they could further investigate the accident or the incident. Excuse me. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, th- what, here's what strikes me about this one. Other than why did you wait till you got back to call 911? Maybe his cell phone was dead. But um, he- here's what really struck me about this one. These robbers were willing to do quite a bit to get that cash. They, they struck yeah. him on the head with a gun. And when he started to run away back to his vehicle, they shot at him. This, this is not a 16-year-old criminal who's got an airsoft gun. He's pretending he's real. He's like, hey, can I have some cash? And any, any sort of like you know, concern or scare, he would run away. No, 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 no. The, these are two suspects who are willing to kill you and willing to make you bleed in order to make sure they get some cash. And and understanding that you know most most any half intelligent person knows that pizza delivery guys don't cruise around with a ton of cash. I, I they, they probably didn't think they were going to score five hundred bucks at best. You know what are you going to get a hundred two hundred bucks? So so I mean that's a lot of violence for a little bit of cash in my in my perspective. So sometimes you know we we hear stories and we're kind of you know I'm guilty sometimes of saying things like well, I just don't know if it came to that. You know, like if I'd been in that situation, I might've just let him have it and not fought back. But then I read stories like this and I'm like, holy crap. Like you, you can't always predict the level of violence that these people are willing to inflict in order to get some cash. Yeah. Uh, it's remarkable. And this story really kind of hit home for me because, you know, we, we kind of have a little bit of a personal tie with uh, Kivette Fredericks, mm-hmm. who is the pizza delivery driver that we featured on the podcast uh, earlier this year. In fact, episode 102, Ooh, good work. Uh, titled, I Felt the Bullet Go Through My Arm and Hit My Gun. And Kivette Fredericks, this was in Philadelphia, if I remember correctly. Uh, March 8th, 2017 is the date of that episode. So back in March, we had him on the on the podcast to share with us his story where he's a, he was also a pizza delivery driver and he was also ambushed and he, he had to, you know, he, he was initially shot. He felt the gun there, the bullet go through his arm, hit his gun. He was in, able to draw his gun and return fire, not knowing if he had struck the suspects, but you know, in the end, uh, saving his life and, and getting them away from him. Uh, just a, a, a very intense, powerful episode that uh, we we had we were able to record together with him, and so if you missed it, you might want to go back and listen to episode one hundred and two. 
this is, it's just scary stuff. You know, these guys are vulnerable when they're out there. Uh, you know, they have, we know that they have money. They probably don't have a lot of money, but you know, guys are willing apparently to go to extreme measures to get a little bit of cash. And chances are most victims or so-called victims, um, give up with very little fight. In this case, this guy wasn't going to go down without a fight. He's lucky. Uh, he was not struck during uh, this. This I mean, there was a, sounds like there was quite a bit of shooting back and forth. Uh, somehow he came out of it okay, and and uh, he was able to uh, be victorious in that. Um, but I'm also reminded of that pizza delivery driver in the Denver area a few years ago that was ambushed, shot, and killed simply for, so that that criminal could steal his uniform and deliver you know pizza delivery bag and all that so he could play the part of a, a delivery driver so he could then go and ambush and shoot and kill at that time the state department of corrections chief uh yeah it's a it's a dangerous job potentially as far as this goes um people place calls that are for false orders and then surprise you when you show up so they can, uh, you know, rob you or do whatever. So anyway, congrats. And we applaud this guy for being, for not being a victim and being prepared to defend himself in the situation. ABC13.com tells us that uh, deputies say a woman shoots teen in the head during home invasion in North Harris County. This would be in the Houston, Texas area where a young man is in critical condition after a woman shot him in the head after he broke into her home, deputies say. Uh, They arrived at the scene just after they received a a call about a home invasion just after 2 a.m. This was just uh, about a week ago or so. They found a teen with a gunshot wound to the head. According to deputies, there were several teenagers involved. Story goes, the woman was home alone. She heard someone breaking into her home. Uh, that one, one of the teens were hiding behind her couch when one of them jumped up, and she then shot that suspect in the head. So, But uh, fortunately, he is in critical, conduct, critical condition and is expected to survive. But yet another story where law-abiding citizens defend themselves, their families, uh, you know, in their homes, I suppose, from stuff like this crap like this yeah clearly criminals are not listening to this podcast because no criminal could possibly listen to this podcast and still think it's a good idea to break into people's homes anywhere outside of probably chicago new york city eh, in new jersey massachusetts anyway you know you're gonna get shot <laughs> you know st- stop breaking into our homes uh yeah. you know in this case you know, these, these these guys got all the way into the home they probably hear oh the, someone's awake they're upstairs they're coming you know they'll hide behind the couch they, they jump behind the couch a homeowner comes down armed, you know, what's going on? I heard someone breaking into my house. One of these boys is like, uh, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to see what's going on. He pops up to see and boom, target presented itself. Shots fired and the other guys run off. That's what it sounds like to me. Uh, you know, pretty clear cut of, of justified, you know, self-defense. This is this is very justified. You know, we don't know what these kids would have done. We just got done reading a story about a couple of guys who will pistol whip you and then shoot you over some some pizza cash. You know, these guys are breaking into this this woman's home. Uh, we don't know where it would have gone from there. So, absolutely, one hundred percent justified. And it's it's really unfortunate. I hope that this this teen survives for the for the sake of the homeowner, frankly, especially because you know living with with having taken a life is is a very difficult thing. So, uh, yeah, well well done as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Yep. I mean, these things happen all the time. And it's funny because you mentioned uh, uh, kind of in the beginning of your comments about, uh, uh, you know, I mean, 
thugs are going to be, if they're listening to the podcast, they've got to be convinced that 100% of the time that they break into somebody's home, they're going to get shot. Uh, I, I hope that's the case. I was also thinking too, though, Jacob, how often it is that we share stories where uh, they occur in Texas, they occur in Florida, sure. they occur totally, you know. You know in Ohio and Indiana and Pennsylvania and a lot of these states, you know, most of these stories that we share on the podcast seem to come from states where gun rights are, are more protected than uh, some other states. And I, I've, you know, on one hand, you might be thinking, well, gee, crime must be really bad in Houston and, and uh, Orlando and places like that. Well, yeah, that may or may not be the case. Uh, Houston's a pretty pretty big city and yeah they they do have some crime there but they are a massive city um but at, i think the reason we don't see a lot of these justified stories come out of places like southern california or new york city is because the the law abiding people in those places don't carry guns yeah so that's right yeah i mean i i i just was thinking about that i thought that was interesting all right uh, we got a couple more stories here. Uh, KOB.com, KOB4 News in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Story goes, homeowner shoots thief in both legs during burglary, police say. So you know where they say, Jacob, just shoot him in the leg? Apparently that's what this guy did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, so this is a garage incident. So homeowner hears some noises in the garage, uh, has with him a forty caliber Glock handgun, according to the the article here. And when he opens the garage and checks it, he sees the men and fired one round to scare them away. That's when the two took off. But Serrano Urias, that's one of the names, one of the suspects, didn't get far. According to the report, the homeowner shot him in the back of the leg as he jumped over the fence in the backyard. But that still didn't stop him. The suspect then took off down Sunset Avenue when the homeowner shot him in the other leg. At least that's what the suspect told police. According to the homeowner, he only fired while he was in the backyard. He said he pulled the trigger to protect himself and his wife, who was also outside. So we're going to wait for forensics to come down and and figure this out. But I'm just going to, for a moment, uh, paint this picture. I'm going to assume that the suspect's version of the story is true because it's the more interesting of the two. If the suspect is, is, is telling the truth, then the story we would patch together if we were the investigators is that the homeowner opens the door to the garage sees some bad dudes, fires off some a shot, and you know that that's that scares them. That gets them thinking, we better get out of here. So I, I you know, the, the suspects start to run, and then another shot rings out, and the suspect gets shot in the back of the leg. It's like, oh ouch, that hurts, but I'm gonna keep running away. So he he jumps over a back fence and starts going down the alleyway when boom, another shot rings out and your other leg has been struck and you go down. If that's all true, then we have some problems, folks some significant legal problems for one. And we've talked about this many, many times. It's come up before in the past. In fact, this sounds really similar to, to one, one other story I'm thinking of. But the short of it is, you know, homeowners and, and armed citizens, we don't have the, the legal or, in my opinion, the ethical and moral right to use deadly force to prevent people's escape uh, particularly in this kind of circumstance. It'd be one thing to prevent them from continuing to hurt other people you know, that might not be us, but it's something else entirely to say, I'm going to shoot them so they can't get away. So that that's a scary version of the story that may or may not be true. Well, was he trying to keep them from getting away or was he, I mean, 
<laughs> the fact is he was shooting at someone that I think is a little bit difficult to describe as being a threat towards you at that point, right? Um, and that's really at the heart of it, the problem, because deadly force is allowed to be used in instances where there is a threat against life. Um, in this case, by the way, both, both of these shots that are fired, there's one that was fired initially in the garage, one that was fired in the backyard, are outside of the dwelling, unless that garage was attached to the house, which it may very well have been. And now this, depend, this could depend on the state, but a lot of states have a, a similar approach to this. And I know Colorado is this way, where uh, a, a, you have to be even careful with using deadly force uh, under castle doctrine you know, rules or, or laws. Um, you got to be careful even inside a garage unless that garage is attached to the house. Now, most, most garages probably are in this day and age, right? But the point is, um, it, it appears to me he, he fired that first shot. He said that, uh, uh, that he pulled the trigger. Oh, wait, that was the first, that was the second one. It's the first time it says he, when he saw the men, he fired one round to scare them away. That's a concern to me because like the purpose of using a gun is not to scare people away. The purpose of using the gun is to stop a threat. And we do that by shooting the threat and stopping the threat that way. So it does say at the very bottom of this article that uh, Albuquerque police department said the homeowner is not facing any charges, but the investigation is ongoing. Now they, could use great discretion here and choose not to to charge because a lot of times prosecutors do that in cases like this. At the same time, I, I strongly suspect somebody somewhere has given this homeowner a, a, a serious good talking to saying, dude, like we get it, we understand, but you know, you, you, you can't, you can't shoot at someone to scare them away and you can't shoot at them as they're hopping over your fence, which to me is clear indication they were trying to get away. That's that's my concern. Is he shot him as he was going over the fence? So certainly, no longer in the garage. You know that that yep. seems really clear. I mean, at at the point that these these intruders have left the garage, it'd be really hard to argue that you continue to believe at that point that they might yet still use some form of force against you or a loved one in the home. Um, that that that's a hard yep. sell. Yep, it really is. And and so we, we bring this story to you today as, as a lesson and a reminder, and, and this is not the first time you've heard it, and it's not the last time you will hear about it, because we've had other stories like this that are, the, you know, basically the same uh, the same lesson that is to be learned. So I hope that you will take that to heart. Uh, prepare yourself mentally and think ahead of different scenarios and how you would respond, and make sure you have that mental preparation in place that you make the right choice at the right time. Because sometimes people react, and they and I've seen that before too, where people will comment, well, I was just reacting. That's a problem. Uh, if you are just reacting to circumstances like this, that tells me you haven't spent the time mentally preparing yourself, thinking, considering, playing out scenarios, and understanding how and where they fit into the law. So mental prep, I think, is really important, and, and it probably keeps people uh, safe, you know, legally in these types of situations. Final story, justified story, Orange Man, Orange County, and by I think this is actually Orange County, uh, uh, Louisiana. Uh, Orange County man holds chase suspect at gunpoint before Vidor or Vidor, 
I don't know, police arrest man. Uh, a chase started in Louisiana, continued on Interstate 10 westbound before ending on uh, the Neches. I'm, I'm sure. sure I'm saying that wrong. Yeah. Neches. <laughs> uh, it's probably some, you know, French, uh, you know, how the, the, the French sure. influence on yeah. Louisiana, Cajun, all that stuff, right? Anyway, <laughs> uh, on a bridge. So it ended on a bridge. On Sunday around 9.15 a.m., Vidor police were notified that the Louisiana State Patrol was chasing a black Acura at speeds over 100 miles per hour. Uh, a suspect, 22-year-old Diego Gomez, tried stealing a second vehicle after stop sticks took out his car near the 855B off-ramp. Jamie Alford was in the passenger seat when the suspect tried to steal their truck. We started to see this black Acura coming towards us, and it was smoking really bad, she said. We were pulled over, or we were pulling over to get out of the way, and he pulled in behind us. He jumped out of the car and jumped in the bed of the truck. And then my husband jumped out of the truck and held him at gunpoint until police officers pulled up, she said. She was frightened during the incident. I thought I was fixing to die. I thought he was fixing to take off in the truck before I could get the keys and get out, Alfred said. Uh, now, this, lest you think this Diego Gomez is just a regular dude, well, police are saying he's a member of the MS-13 gang. That's a, that's a, that's a thing. Those guys are hardcore. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm going to stop there, you know, but I mean, we have a, a driver of a vehicle, a husband that jumps out, holds this guy at gunpoint. Um, it, you know, play this out in your mind, Jacob. Give us your analysis. I mean, you pull over because you see this chase or you see somebody coming up on you really fast. And then rather than going by you, they stop and they jump up on your truck or they come up maybe even along the side of you. Uh, and you respond immediately by jumping out and, and, and drawing your weapon. Um, what's the justification for that? What's going through your mind in that s- circumstance? Yeah, you know, uh, maybe the appearance of the person could be a contributing factor, how they look, how they appear. Um, another contributing factor is that they're clearly being chased by law enforcement, all those cop cars that are back there chasing this person. Um, it could be there's some some factors in terms of what the guy might be saying. He might be saying, drive, drive, or he might say, give me the keys, give me the keys, or, or you know, I'll kill you if you don't, you know, we don't know, right? So, the, uh, you know, those are all things that we don't really get in the news story that I think oftentimes are very relevant to how you might react and certainly how you would justify your reactions later in, you know, to a jury of your peers. So all those things are factors. Um, you know, the husband, you know, he sees whatever he sees, he hears whatever he hears. He jumps out, draws his gun and says, you know, probably something effective, don't move or get down or I don't, you know, something effective, you know, you're this close to getting a bullet and you know, the, the bad guy complies. And in this case, Another wonderful example that will never hit the, the mainstream media where a gun was used, but no one was shot and it was used to good effect. So what's going through my mind in that circumstance? You know, I, I, I think it depends on a lot of those other little variables, what I saw, what I heard. But clearly this is a bad person who's trying to do bad things right now. And, you know, it, it said something about him jumping into the bed of the truck. You know, yep. that, that's I find interesting because I might not initially, if someone jumped in the bed of my truck, I might initially feel like, what are you doing back there? But if but if you were yanking on my door or yanked my door open and tried to you know force the keys out of my hand, you know those those would all be things that would change it for me dramatically. I would immediately perceive a very serious threat. But jumping in the back of my truck, well, it, it might depend on what you say or what else I I notice or see or perceive about the situation. Yeah, well, I appreciate your input on that, and and so that, that's kind of a lot of the same thought process I was going through as I was trying to trying to imagine or put myself in the position of. Uh, these these two good people, um, you know, 
as far as we sometimes hear stories where it's like, whoa, hey, what are you doing? You know, drawing a gun when when there's, uh, you know, not an obvious threat or apparent threat or uh, where, um, you know, you're just you're just holding him at gunpoint, and that sort of thing. And I, I looked at this story and I'm like, wow, this, I could totally see this. This is completely justified. Uh, but how do you make that judgment call? And I think it's made because you got to look at the whole situation. You got to look at all the facts that are available to you. And you got to take that all in in an instant. And you see a vehicle that's traveling very fast. You see maybe some cops in the distance chasing it. And that vehicle is smoking and it's got flat tires and it stops at you. And then the dude is getting out of the vehicle. Now, uh, you could, you know, consider driving off. Uh, you know, the, use your vehicle as a weapon, perhaps, or as an escape route. But in this case, it probably happened so fast, and you know, the driver of the vehicle just knew he had to. He 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 had a wife to protect, and he got out, and he was immediately ready because I I think he probably took the the whole situation in and went, "This is not good." Uh, so he got right out with his gun, and and he uh, put an end to it. And by putting an end, he didn't have to fire any shots. He, he was a lawfully armed citizen that ended a, a really bad, scary situation just by the presence of his gun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, well, is very, which is powerful. Yeah. Well, well done is the short answer, right? Like all things in yeah. hindsight being, being said and done, no one got shot, bad guys in, behind bars. We're good. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that wraps up our stories for the day. I told you we'd have a, a quite a bit to get through. Uh, frankly, I'm impressed we did it in the time we we did. It was about an hour and a half. <laughs> so lots of content. Uh, you know, it's, it, by the way, it's amazing how much content we actually have to cut out of as far as as we are evaluating news stories each week, uh, especially justified stories. I mean, every week we are we are cutting stories from being in the podcast. We're trying to pick from the best ones available or the ones that have the best lessons that we can, you know, learn from them and things like that. But we are always constantly cutting stories and it kind of breaks my heart in a way because it's like, you know, maybe sometime Jacob will go back through uh, these uh, outlines of ours that we use for these news shows in particular and collect all these stories and put them into one place, you know, where people can see just how often law abiding citizens are able to defend themselves and others in lawful legal ways most of the time uh, because they're able to carry a gun and they're able to carry it concealed. They're able to carry it on their person. They're able to have it with them where it matters in those moments when crap hits the fan and it hits it very fast. And I'd, I love to throw crap like this in the face of all those gun grabbers out there to say, look, like General McChrystal that said, we can't have untrained, unexperienced people out there carrying. We can't have more of that in this country. Law-abiding citizens carrying guns on their person in public. That will make our, our society less safe. And I would say, dude, look at this. Look at all of the good that has happened because law-abiding citizens with guns were in the right place at the right time. So with that, just a reminder as we wrap up, we hope that you'll support the podcast by supporting our sponsors, Guardian Nation, Pig Lube, Brave Response, and others. And Jacob mentioned, go go check out our store, concealedcarry.com forward slash shop, where you can see our, our whole uh, slew of products. Uh, very reasonably priced. And if you are a Guardian Nation member, you get 10% off everything in the store all the time. And that's, I think that's pretty much true it, all the time, even with sales, right, Jacob? 
10% off anything all the time. There's no exception you, that, you know, you, if you have a coupon code, you still get 10% off even after the coupon code is applied. If something is on sale, you get an additional 10% off. It's just, yeah, you get 10% off whatever the cheapest thing is that you can get into the cart all the time. That's a great deal. And y- y- you don't have to spend really that much to, to probably really take full advantage of that 10% off even. Never mind all the other great benefits of Guardian Nation. GuardianNation.com. You can check that out. And once again, concealedcarry.com forward slash shop to see our store. Well, with that, we're going to sign off and get out of here. A reminder to all of you listening to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. A reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.